Hello, everyone. This is Reb Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Well, it's been a minute since we've had a regular podcast. I've been having fun with our Lessons from Lasso series, but I wanted to take a break from that and talk to a couple things that are causing a little bit of a stir in professional and collegiate sport. Today on the podcast, we're going to look at NFTs and NILs. And if you don't know what those acronyms stand for and what they mean for the world of sport, well, don't worry. We're going to look at these things together, and I'll give my hot take, if we can call it that, after we define some of the terms. Don't go anywhere. We explore the world of three-letter words right after this. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night, the hat-trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! So what in the world is an NFT? Or what about an NIL? Should we get vaccinated because of these? At least when I first heard these two acronyms being bandied about, I paused for a moment. I thought we might be dealing with some new COVID strain or virus. Well, come to find out, both NFT and NIL might be a virus for some. But before we go any further, let's define what these two things are. NFT stands for non-fungible token. See what I mean? Fungible sounds like fungi or fungi, right? Doesn't it sound like that to you? A non-fungible token, NFT from here on out, is really a financial security that's has digital data it's stored in a blockchain. And, and now wait, you might be saying, whoa, Rev, are we talking Bitcoin blockchain on the podcast today? If so, I'm out of here. No, hold on. Remember, I'm learning this. So are you probably. The truth is I, I'm a rookie. I don't know these things. Most of my understanding about things like crypto and these things like it. Um, yeah, NFTs are kind of like crypto coin, but they're not coin. They're more things like artwork or sports memorabilia. They're other creative pieces, endeavors, let's put it that way. So let me try to explain it really simply. Let's say someone creates an art piece. It's maybe a digital art piece. They put that art piece up for sale on a blockchain and voila, someone buys it and now takes ownership of that digital art piece. Uh, th this is an example of the very first NFT entitled Quantum. Artist Kevin McCoy sold the piece to co-collaborator Anil Dash for like four bucks. But last year, Sotheby's started the bidding for the piece at $100, and it eventually sold for $1.47 million. $1.47 million for a piece of code that essentially flashes and displays these mesmerizing graphics that are not programmed or planned, per se. So can you imagine that? That's an NFT. Now, recently... Part of what brought this up to me was The Athletic led with a story that members of the AX football team had been accused of some financial monkey business around NFTs. And I've got a link to the story in the podcast notes. You see, it, it seems that a number of the squad made some interesting acquisitions, should we say, of their teammates' NFTs in a fantasy football game just prior to one of their most recent matches. All of a sudden, them snatching up these uh, these trading cards, essentially, led to a big price inflation as match day lineup came out. And it was even bewildering to then IX coach Eric Ten Hag. Athletic reporter Joey D'Urso wrote this. He said, in almost any other sphere, trading confidential sporting information for financial gain 
would carry big penalties. But in the virtually unregulated world of NFTs, things are less clear cut. Things are less clear cut. Are you still with me? Are you tracking? Essentially, to sum it up, teammates bought up these player trading cards, which uh, they're all online, they're digital, and it revealed the lineup of the team prior to the match. And, and by doing this, they kind of, they made a financial gain because they turned around and sold them as the price started to go up. So to Urso's point, in another setting, this might be considered like gambling or profiting off insider information, but we're in this crazy world now of NFTs that are, it's so new, no one knows what to do with them. Well, we've talked NFTs for a moment. Let's switch gears to talk about NIL. Now, NIL stands for name, image, and likeness. I, I want to read a little bit more from an article from iconsource.com. And again, I've got a link to it in the podcast notes, but essentially they go out to define what NIL means. So here, reading direct quote from them, NIL refers to the use of an athlete's name, image, and likeness through marketing and promotional endeavors. Let me say that again. NIL refers to the use of an athlete's name, image, and likeness through marketing and promotional endeavors. Now, endeavors is, is kind of big. It's kind of broad. It, it might include things like an autograph. It might include things like endorsing a certain product or a brand. It might include someone's social media posts. And so there's these partnerships and arrangements that are going on. And, and essentially people, companies, brands are now with some of these changes in law are now kind of grabbing on to the name, image, and likeness of certain athletes. Uh, one article I read said that athletes like UConn's Paige Buckners, she makes about 63000 per social media post. 63,000. That's almost what I make in a year for one post. You know, for a long time, there's been a growing debate over whether college athletes should be paid. And in the U.S., there's been strict rules. I, I don't know so much around the world, but there's been strict rules that govern student athletes, and it really prevents them from getting any sort of monetary compensation for playing. And, and there's even been situations where certain gifts or other types of incentives, maybe that the school or other, other people around the school, like a coach, a, a, an athletic director, team administrator, or, or even, you know, some of these, these parent groups, they've actually been banned or fined or uh, punished for offering these gifts or these gifts being accepted by those athletes. And there's so many stories you could just Google it and figure out. You probably know more than I do, actually. So, so you, ha you have athletes signing for a particular school, uh, for a team, for a sport, and they're in a sense, giving their talents and abilities as part of that sports program. Well, the problem is that a lot of the, the way things have been run, the schools, the NCAA have benefited financially, monetarily from these things. And we have a little bit of history here as sport is going on that athletes are standing up saying, hey, this isn't cool. This isn't right. And of course, some of the rule breaking has gone on. As I said, it's been done by coaches or booster clubs, and people have been pretty crafty in skirting the rules and regulations over the years and trying to get different athletes to be part of their particular program. But a lot of this NIL stuff has to do with the athlete themselves. And I think as sport has has grown and gone on. And as a younger generation comes up, that younger generation's grown up with things like Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and, and the like. 
And these student athletes, before they even get to college, you know, they've been social media influencers. And and so this has caused a wrinkle in the debate on whether those student athletes have to lay all that aside to get into college. And now all of a sudden they can't make any money. So so where some of this pivoted, the, the, the door for NIL really opened when um, UCLA uh, – basketball player, Ed O'Banion, he filed a class action antitrust lawsuit. And essentially his argument was students and and persons should be able to benefit off of their own name, image, and likeness. And it shouldn't be groups like the NCAA or video game companies that are making buku bucks on these athletes, their talents, and and the things that they do and, and the way that they're involved in sport. And so that happened, I think it was the late 2000s. So, it, you know, it, but more recently in California in 2019, there were some new laws that, that came out that, that went against in favor of the athlete and in the favor of NIL. So I don't want to get in the weeds all about NIL. I think if you check out the article on iconsource.com, it kind of details the NIL saga pretty well, better than I can. And, and I do want to touch, though, on one thing, one line in the article, and it reads this way. It says, let me quote directly. As one can see, these rules, talking about the NIL rules, have created a modern-day Wild West situation, with everyone looking to find where exactly the line in the sand is and what might happen when they cross it. So let me take a minute now, and I want to link both the NFT and NIL pieces. Of course, maybe you already see the relationship between the two. Maybe you see a different kind of relationship. But the thing I want to focus on is the murky waters around this idea of rules and regulations. You know, the NFT world is unregulated. The NIL rules are more of a wild, wild west code of honor. Like, hey, let's uh, let's be careful about how we handle these things. And, and we're going to, you know, essentially, I, I've looked over those NIL rules. It's essentially putting more of the power into the state and where the school is that the athlete plays, you know, what state they're in uh, here in the U.S., but it seems to be that there's not really many consequences right now at this point with the with the NIL rules. So now let it be known, I'm a rule follower. I'm a firm believer that rules are there to create boundaries, to make sure certain things are pleasurable and challenging all at the same time, especially rules like that when it comes to sport. And I, I think too, rules are important in other parts and places of life, like society and commerce. Rules, especially ones that are just and fair and equitable, you know, they, they help to keep a level playing field. They help to keep opportunity open. And, and they often, if they're done correctly, if they're done rightly, they reward integrity, they reward hard work, and they penalize you for, for cheating and for taking shortcuts and for not doing a good job and, and other such things. I, I don't want to go in a whole legal battle here, but essentially the basis of law and rules and regulations, whether for life or for a game like soccer, like football, they really have to have an overarching framework or template, something that can help them outside of themselves to enforce and encourage things like fairness and equity without also making everything sort of a free-for-all, where everyone gets a prize and all the handouts are free. So here's my fear. My fear is that we're going to have tremendous difficulty in the time and the future which is to come, whether it's NFTs or NILs and, and so many more things, which we don't even know about right now. As these things come into the fore, uh, as the near future is upon us, and, and here's the reason why I'm kind of afraid of it, and that, and that I think this is something we need to dialogue and discuss now. 
is, is for so long, and really I'm talking about the Western world, although we could say this really extends globally. For so long now, uh, people, we've, we've, we've shied away from believing or holding to anything that is, is remotely close to what we might call absolute truth. Let me say it a different way. You know, the, the way of the future and all the potential that it holds will be increasingly difficult to govern because we have for so long now, we've championed, championed that every person has their own truth, quote unquote. And so, you know, we keep saying that, well, it, it's your truth. This is your truth. And so when we say that and we make truth and, and standards and guidelines and law and, and legality, we, we make it more ambiguous it becomes more and more difficult to have a base of governance, anything that's based on any sort of standard, because the target is always moving. It's always shifting. Additionally, I have a concern as a chaplain because the athlete, whether the student athlete or the professional athlete, now has another layer already added into what I think is a, a complex life. Sports people, as we more and more professionalize sport and elevate sport, we get further and further away from pure play, as it's known. Sport gets commodified. And usually when things get commodified, we must necessarily codify. But the problem is we're in uncharted waters. And what we've done is we've thrown things like the compass overboard in favor of self-reliance. And so now athletes, coaches, teams aren't only concerned with performance and winning and outcomes on the pitch or in other arenas and areas. But now we have a brand. We have an image to worry about, to retain, to leverage toward money-making. And I fear that as we step into so much that is new, we're not asking the tough questions of should we? Or is this good? Is this healthy for me? We haven't done the work uh, around morality or ethics, and we don't even have the framework anymore to answer those questions. You, you know, we already see so many in sport struggling with mental health and, and with well-being. And now we introduce these things. Let's take an example. Let's look a little bit more closely at the Ajax situation. So goalkeeper Andre Onanen was thought to get the start in Sunday's final match, but two of his teammates ended up buying his trading card, his NFT card, uh, for Martin Stelkenberg, the backup goalkeeper. Now, Stelkenberg hadn't played for some six or seven months due to injury, and he had only returned to the team and returned to the bench just a week prior. He'd, he'd probably been training and, and recovering, but but it was just a week prior that he was back on the bench. So as soon as the two teammates purchased, you know, essentially uh, Stelklenberg's uh, NFT card was was really inexpensive. So people are tracking these things or watching these things. And they're like, oh, well, we've got something different here now. This guy could be starting the game. And so people are snatching it up as part of, you know, if you've ever played a, a fantasy football or a fantasy American football game, you kind of know, like it, it benefits you to have the right starters in play at the time. And so this caused a bit of a stir in the fantasy community because others start following suit and they're like, oh, well, I guess if these, if, if these two teammates are, are buying up the card, then we should buy it too. Maybe he's getting the start instead. And so you know, the players later sold their, their NFT as, as that was on the upswing and who knows how much they made. It wasn't really clear from the articles I read, but, um, you know, it just kind of got said that it was kind of minor compared to what footballers make, but, you know, even, even a hundred, 200, $300, you know, we kind of get into, is this gambling? We get into some of those questions. Now, now let me pause there. 
to be fair, not everyone's in NFTs, blockchain, this this kind of thing. Even head coach Ten Hag was puzzled. He's reported as saying, can the players really earn money with this? I, I know many athletes who purposely stay away from social media, from media in general. They they prefer to focus on their sport, focus on the game. They, they spend time with their family or they have other interests and hobbies. But as we see the younger generation, more and more of these things are in the forefront. Now, imagine the pressure. So, so here's where I kind of want to land with this. Even internally, you, you have your backup keeper. You have these teammates. They've been training all week long. Maybe the teammates realize, oh, you know what? He's going to get the start. So beyond the pressure to perform well, you have things like returning well from an injury, not getting injured again, you know, all those things running through someone's head. This is for start in so many months. And, and who knows, you know, is Secklenburg, is he in the final year of a contract? Is he playing for a spot on the roster next year? Is his performance being evaluated? Is, is he looking to leave the team, go to a different team or opportunity? And there's, there's maybe many, many more mental and ethical implications that might arise from a moment like this in these kinds of situations. And what we have is we have no voice, no, no governance, no influence, no critical thinking going on. And that's what I believe is extremely dangerous. We've added into the layer of someone's mental health and well-being. We've added this additional layer of, of pressure because now there's, there's money involved. Now there's, you know, in some cases with digital blockchain type stuff, big money in many cases for these things. So the Athletic quoted a spokesperson for the Dutch Football Association. And this is, uh, again, something I want to highlight for you. But speaking to local media, this this football association person essentially said gambling's not allowed, but this is a new phenomenon. There's nothing in our disciplinary law about this. There's nothing in our disciplinary law about this. And, and you know, this spokesperson was saying also, they, they went on to say, we're keeping an eye on these things. This is on our agenda to talk about. We're going to figure out something. But now go back to the NIL issue. Last week, the NCAA issued a new quote unquote guidance. But even the NCAA iterated, they, at least according to the article on Slate, that it wasn't a new rule, but it was rather a, an emphasis of that rule that went into force last year. So again, here we are, we're entering into murky waters and it becomes more and more difficult to identify the moral and ethical issues that surround some of these new things. And I think part of it is because we've muddied the waters around things like absolute truth. So where do we go from here? How do we navigate NFTs? NILs and whatever comes in the future. Well, to start, I believe we need some vision. As I was thinking through and reflecting on this story on writing um, the podcast for the day, the words of Proverbs 29, 18, 29, 18 came to mind. Uh, in one version, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Other translations put it this way. I think this is the NIV, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. Or, or put it another way, Eugene Peterson in the message says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Let me, let me say that again from Eugene uh, Peterson's The Message. It's a, a paraphrase of, of Proverbs 29, 18. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now, 
I know people don't see what God is doing. Some people have shut their eyes on purpose. Some people are just blind. They can't see. They, they've forgotten God. They've denied God. They've run away from God for so long, and it leads to stumbling. In truth, my friends, we need to be people who will attend to the revelation of God. God's revelation in the world and through the person of Jesus Christ, we need to return to a belief that there is absolute truth, that there is a moral law and a moral law giver who is ultimate and is supreme. And we need to find and strike a balance between law, legalism, rules, regulations, and grace. Yeah, we're, we're a stumbling people, but we need to get back to some of these basic beliefs of life that can help us help guide us through such times. There is a compass, there is a guide, and we ought not abandon those things. Because if we do, we will find ourselves further and further adrift in an endless ocean of moral ambiguity. Well, there's more. More could be said. A lot more could be said. But I think we keep this conversation going. Hey, I want to thank you. If you've stayed with me thus far, I know that we went long today, but I want to encourage you, reach out. You know, maybe you have some thinking around this or, or some of the questions around this. I'd love a dialogue. Email me at podcast at soccerchaplainsunited.org. Send me some of your thoughts. Maybe, maybe send me some ideas on some guests that you think, hey, could argue both sides of this conversation and, and let's plot some ways forward. Well, as we close, I want to offer and share a prayer uh, for navigating a way forward. Would you pray with me? God, in darkest night, you threw light into the heavens to guide us. In the fiercest of storms, you abate the winds and waves that have blown us off course. And in the most uncertain of times, you reveal yourself to be constant and true. God, we confess we have lost our way. We are unsure of what NFTs and NILs and other things will actually mean for our future. We know that much is changing and ever more rapidly as the world spins. Be again our anchor. Be again our hope. Be again our salvation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from ourselves. Amen. Well, friends, I've enjoyed talking NFTs and NILs with you today. Uh, it's a subject that we're not done with, and I'm no expert in. But I do want to tell you I know the one who maybe has an answer to this. And we're going to talk more about this in the future. But for now, this is Reb Brad coming to you from the Touchline.